Welcome to Crime Wire, a program dedicated to bringing attention to unsolved crimes and educating the public about various types of crimes and how to avoid becoming a victim. My name is Denny Griffin, and on today's show, my co-host Delilah Jones and I will be talking with Carrie Flagg, and we're going to be discussing uh, issues relating to family court and parental rights. Carrie, welcome to Crime Wire. Thank you, Denny. Um, I'm glad to have you on the program. I'm sorry it's under these circumstances, and we'll get to those circumstances in a minute. But uh, you'll be talking today, you'll be mentioning CPS. Please explain to the listeners what CPS is. Um, Well, CPS is, um, in the state of Michigan and other states, it falls under different departments. But for the state of Michigan, it it, falls. falls under the Department of Human Services. It's a branch off of that. Um, CPS in itself, um, it's an administrative type organization. Um, They don't really have a particular department that they answer to. We have what's called here in the Michigan, uh, the Children of Unbudsmen, who just make sure that they follow current policy and guidelines, but there's not a department set up to actually handle any type of complaints or discrepancies with CPS. So um, but they're the CP- ones that do the in- initial investigations for, for children. So CPS is a governmental agency, and their function then w- would be uh, supposedly for the safety and welfare of children. Is that what their mission is, is to assure the safety and welfare of children? Right. Um, the CPS department handles um, things from, uh, like, for instance, uh, calls or complaints um, get called into or mandatory reporters will report to what's called a central intake. Those get fanned out to the local department and then assigned an investigator. And then from there, CPS will become involved and they'll give the case a certain classification or risk and either move on with investigation or close the case. So they they have quite a bit of power then when they do get involved, I assume. Um, yes, they do. Um, because um, they are not law enforcement, um, they are not required to um, follow anything like the police would, where they have to, you know, give you Miranda rights information or let you know, hey, I'm you know, going to record this conversation or this could be used against you later in court. Um, If the police interview a child, they have to make the parents aware, offer the parents to be there. CPS, a lot of cases, will go to the school before they ever notify the child, take them out of the school into a separate room and interview them there or do a brief introduction, Um, as in my case, what they did with my girls. Um, They had already interviewed them before I knew about it. Okay, let's uh, just jump right in here real quick and just ask a, a, you know, sort of a generalized question. What type of of abuses have you seen from CPS or family court? And maybe not in just your case, but maybe in other people's cases that you feel like the public needs to be aware of. What is exactly that they, you don't feel that they're doing right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, 
there is the, the model with family court that they try to do what's in the best interest of the child. Um, there's a case that recently that I've been reading on, and I'm, I'm very involved with the parent um, that's in the county next door where um, the child was taken from her care um, and placed to an outside facility or camp. Um, and in her particular case, she showed the court um, where the teachers, the counselors, um, the doctors, and even surprisingly, the child's own attorney said she's thriving under the mother's care. Um, the mother had gained custody from the father. Um, there were issues under the father's care. And she was actually thriving under the mother's care. The grades were improving. Um, but the judge had sided with the father against all experts, including their own expert, and placed her into a Christian camp that deals with um, drug addiction. Now, this child never had any drug addictions. Um, she had some emotional problems, but we have a five-month record of, of being under mom's care where everything improved. So it's what I see a lot of is, is it's more like I'm going to do what I feel is best and ignore all experts or evidence. This, the mind is already made up. Um, and it comes down to one person in family court, the judge. They're the ultimate power in these cases. Well, do you feel like the opinion coming down is of one person or as an agency as a whole? I'm, I'm sorry, one opinion as, say that again? Well, in a lot of these cases, like you described, do you feel like, is it the social worker, the judge, um, all combined that are making these decisions um you know, not necessarily based on evidence like you had just said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in her particular case, um, reading enough information, um, I, I feel that in her particular case, and in my opinion, that it, it lied with the judge. Um, I wouldn't even I, I wouldn't even blame CPS on this one because they had actually investigated. From what I understand, there was some information in regards to the father. But now, looking at my case, it's starkly different. Um, my case, CPS and the court played a role in that together um, and, and, and ignored, ignored my, my children's own um, forensic interview to CPS and some of the things that they divulged to CPS, which we later got the recording of, and they completely got ignored, which would have explained a lot of things. And is that part of the basis for your appeal, the fact that certain information was not apparently considered? Um, it is. Um, the basis for the appeal, um, and they tried to limit you 50 pages, so we had to cut back because my, my case has gone on for um, almost three years. So it's been a very long, drawn-out case. But um, the, some of the main principles for my appeal um, was one that we have um, – statements in the forensic interview and the forensic interview was the basis for them to take and continue termination hearings. Um, one, we were never given a copy or information on the forensic interview until after my adjudication or my, my jury trial. Um, then we go ahead and dissect the forensic interview. We had it um, transcribed 
and we we basically broke it apart and had other experts that we hired listen to it and even they were astonished and now the court the lower court that terminated me completely backs away from the forensic interview um they distance themselves in their own opinion but the forensic interview um you know my child describes certain things in very much detail that happened under the care of their mother and CPS knew about it um, and, and didn't do anything. Um, that's, that's the large basis. There was another basis um, in which I can show that we have, um, in the judge's opinion, um, he writes in regards to my children's education and so forth and so on. Well, the, the teachers actually came to testify on, on my behalf. Nothing was given about um, education, just behavior. And then in his writings, he talks about um, uh, my, my third child, uh, the one that started the investigation, talks about her um, report from school, uh, counseling report and different things from school and IEP. That had never been talked about before in evidence or submitted as evidence. Only two people actually have that report, and that was myself and the CPS worker. So how did the judge get a hold of that information is a question that we have. Um, to me, in my opinion, it looks like he had outside conversations because he quotes it detail for detail in the report. So, you know, Carrie, uh, we've jumped ahead a little bit here and, you know, talked about where you're at now. Let's sort of take our listeners from the start of this and kind of walk them through how you got to where you are. Uh, you were married at one point. Why don't you fill us in on your, uh, you know, when you were married and so forth and your family makeup and, and so forth and sure. kind of take us through the what happened to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so my ex and I, we met in high school. Um, I was about 15. Um, and, you know, I mean, we were friends to start with, um, boyfriend, girlfriend, typical high school thing. And then we stayed together after high school. Um, I went into uh, the service right around when I was 21. Uh, we got married shortly after that. And then um, shortly after that, we had my um, my oldest daughter. Um, she's a September 11th uh, baby, and uh, and uh, easiest easiest child from father's standpoint. I expected the whole waking up in the night and stuff, but she was the easiest child to to deal with baby wise. I was like, oh, this is this is nothing. My second one, on the other hand, gave me a run for my money. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> but um we had we had went through that. We had some troubles at the beginning. Um when I was in the service, um, you know, she she had an affair. I got over that. I, I we worked through it, we forgave. Um it wasn't until later on that the marriage really started to to fall apart, um towards the end of, of my you know, when we had my fourth child. Um, all girls by the way, but um and things fell apart, disagreements on how to raise the kid, money issues, just constant bickering. So we both 
went our own separate ways. We tried marriage counseling. Um, there were a few times where she didn't show up, and the counselor looked at me and said, well, I think you, you have your answer. And we went through the divorce proceeding. Um, and the start of the divorce, she had filed for full cost. Um, I didn't want anything of the divorce. I let her have, you know, all the possessional stuff. I just wanted 50-50 custody. Um, we were awarded a temporary order, I want to say like 2012, where we did the 50-50 custody. Um, and shortly after that, that was when my first CPS complaint came in, um, where I was accused of sexual abuse on my third daughter. Um, I went through an investigation. Of course, they do the sheriffs and CPS and all of that. Um, I was cleared, and then the children were allowed to come home. Um, gosh, we went through um, some issues, me and her, with schooling, um, had life truancy issues. Um, I tried to work with her. We would try to do like a uh, community mental health family team meeting. I had offered to do that and, and try to work with her. Um, she literally looked at me and said, well, I'm not going to do that. If you want, you can just take me to court. Um, so my divorce attorney that I had originally, we went back to court. I asked for more parenting time. As soon as I filed the paperwork, um, I had another CPS complaint against me three days later. Um, that was against, um, once again, my third child, um, for bruises, abuse, um, and all just a line of things. Um, during that interview, um, of course they interview all the children They come in your house, they inspect, um, during that particular interview, cause that was with a gentleman, uh, named Adam was the worker, um, it was disclosed by my older two because they asked them how daddy treats Savannah, how mommy treats Savannah. And my older two girls, point blank, and I still have the document, said that if anybody were to hurt Savannah, it would be mommy. The case was immediately closed. They never did anything else. And then the most recent one um, that led into a full-blown investigation, which later led to my termination, started in November of 2013. And uh, at that time, we had um, where Amanda, or I'm sorry, my ex would pick the children up Friday nights for her weekend. She had every other weekend and Wednesday night overstays. So she would pick them up at 6, and then I would pick them up from her Sunday. Um, so she picked them up that night uh, from my place at 6 o'clock, took them home. And then I didn't know about this until after I get contacted days later from CPS, but she had taken, I guess, Savannah, sorry, here I go, <laughs> Savannah, um, into the hospital. She uh, went there about 9.10. Um, the claim was that she was trying to find a babysitter for the rest of the kids, and that's why she waited so long to take her to the hospital. Um, yeah, upon request, they never give us anybody that she tried to contact um, in regards to trying to find a babysitter, and she doesn't tell us who she was even trying to contact. So it's like, how do we know? You know, we ask these questions in court, and we don't get an answer. So that brings us up to um, Savannah ha Savannah's uh, emergency, and then she went to Helen DeVos. 
Um, and then she was later returned to me after CPS came out. It would have been a Sunday Sunday morning, and then the kids were returned back into my care. Um, at that time, there was no worries. And we did the follow-up. I did the follow-up with her pediatrician. Uh, I did a follow-up with Helen DeVos to take her down there. Um, and then we had agreed to do um, uh, a forensic, uh, or not a forensic, but we had agreed to do a family interview down at CPS, which that ultimately led to the forensic interview, which I didn't even know was being recorded at the time. Um, but that's the one that we didn't get the recording right away. And that would have been November, middle of November. Oh, are we still there? Yes, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Just making sure I didn't lose anybody since I'm going to that out. Um, so from the forensic interview, um, I was asked to do a safety plan um, at that point, and I agreed to do the, the safety plan. It's usually a contract between the parents and um, CPS. Um, now that they know what those involve, I would really caution any parent on doing those. But I, I did one, um, just an agreement that I would have another adult around me at all times when I'm with the kids. You know, at that point, it was like, okay, you know, I've been accused so many times of me being a single dad. I didn't think it was a bad idea personally myself um, at this point, you know. So we go through this, um, and then we go ahead and we take um, Savannah down to Helen DeVos um, for her checkup. Comes back, we go ahead, and um, CPS asked me to take a um, state polygraph. They would set it up. Now, this time I didn't have a lawyer or anything. Um, and, you know, at this point I'm just like, well, let's just get this over with. So I took the uh, the state polygraph. And uh, when they sit you down, um, they do a bunch of questions to kind of get your baseline. So we went through questions on the other girls and different things to get a baseline, um, which – and there's in CPS's own report, I actually I pass all of the questions in regards to the other children. Um, so then we go into and get ready for Savannah. And at this time, the polygraph examiner tells me that Savannah drew a picture during the forensic interview of myself with an erect uh, penis. Um, being a parent and a father, you know, you just you're like, what in the world? And I, I freaked out. I didn't know where she would have gotten that from because I have a lock on my bathroom door. You know, I lock it all the time. Got a lock on my bedroom door. You know, and then we go right into the questions with Savannah. And I failed the questions with Savannah. So then CPS, about three days later, files a petition to remove the kids uh, from my care. Um, when they filed the petition, um, a, um, a court administrator actually signed off on the paperwork, um, not a judge at the time. I didn't know that until much later. Um, they're supposed to give you a hearing um, within 24 hours. If it's, you know, a weekday, if it's holiday or something, they have longer, they have up to 72 hours. 
to give you this hearing, okay, once your kids have been removed. I never received any of that. I went right into the preliminary hearing in January. I didn't have or know or anything about my kids for over 30 days until we went right into January's preliminary hearing. Um, I never knew I had those rights, um, not until much later. And by then, it was too late. Now, Perry, uh, when they removed the children during this process, they went to their mother, or did they go into some type of foster care, or did they go with their mom? Um, they they went with their mother. Mm-hmm. Okay. And at that, uh, right up until now, you you still didn't have a lawyer, or you. I, I did not. I um I actually didn't get a lawyer until um my preliminary hearing in January. Um during this, this time with CPS I was in between jobs. I couldn't afford an attorney. Um so I had to wait until I was actually in the preliminary hearing um to get one and I actually ended up getting my old divorce attorney um that was on my case originally and she became my court appointed attorney. Would would you recommend? I, I realize you're, you know, you're talking when you're getting lawyers involved. You're talking uh, obviously a, a lot more expense. Uh, but w- would your recommendation to other parents going through this type of thing that they get a lawyer early on or no? That was my biggest fault. I should have gotten a lawyer early on. Um, I should have gotten a lawyer the minute they they wanted to do a family sit down. I should have made sure myself and my kids um, and our rights were protected. I didn't know any better. Um, <laughs> I can't reverse time. I wish I could. Um, but I, I mean, anytime they want to sit down with you and have a talk like that, I would recommend having an attorney there present with you. Unfortunately, a lot of parents, you'll have to pay for it because you're not, they're not charging you with something. So you don't have a right to a, uh, court-appointed attorney. You'd have to pay for it out of pocket. But, I mean, if it's just for them to sit in while they're doing the interview process, I would find a way to come up with the $200 or whatever they're going to charge just for that hour to sit in. Uh, And I want to make it clear to the listeners that what we're talking about here when, when you mentioned termination, we're not talking about termination of custody. We're not talking about termination of visitation. We're talking about the the ultimate uh, the termination of your rights as a parent am I correct there that's what we're talking about uh, yes sir yeah so that's uh, I would assume uh, thank the Lord I've never been through anything like this my, myself but uh, that I think for this type of proceeding would be like the ultimate wouldn't it I mean uh, what else can they do to you they take away um. In, in in family court, a lot of attorneys uh, describe it as um, because there's a difference, of course, between family court and criminal court. But it's the um, it's the equivalent to the death sentence to a parent. Um, I mean, a parent at that point is terminated. You can't even so much as get a picture from the school of your child just to have. I mean, you. Yeah, heavy heavy duty stuff. Uh, Carrie, before before we can, 
I'm I'm just have a quick question, Denny. Um, sure, sure. Obviously, when you when you are stripped of your parental rights, you're also stripped of financial obligation for those children. In some cases, um, you are. In some cases, you are not. Um, if um, if for instance, the person stays and resides in the same state and is receiving any type of state benefits, you are still um, liable for all of the costs. Um, If that person chooses to move out of state and leave the jurisdiction, which at that point they can if the court signed off, um, then it's a gray area whether or not you are or aren't. there's so many factors in, in child support and in uh, liability. Um, like, for instance, in, in my case, I was fully responsible the entire time that this was going on um, for child support, for, for medical, for anything, um, including the court-appointed attorney for the children. Um, I was responsible for paying for him. When so, your children uh, were in your adds custody, up quickly. yeah, when it, when you had, and correct me if I'm wrong, you had at one time you had full custody, correct? I did, yes. Okay. And so, was the mother obligated to pay child support to you during that time? Um, she was. They used the Michigan state formula, of course. Um, so it goes on different factors, but it went based on her. Um, income and stuff, um, and it was it was very low. Um, and you know, I I never counted on on getting that. When I did get it, that was great. I mean, I would put it into an account and go summer you know summer shopping for the kids for clothes or you know whatnot. Um, you know, I mean, was she consistent when I mean consistent or inconsistent with her payment? Um, no, there were a few times that um, she got called into court. And they notify the other parent. I never, I never went to those type of hearings for her um, because <laughs> I guess maybe at the time it was soft. Um, I, I look at it like, what good is it going to do for the court to find her or put her in jail? That's going to put her further behind, you know. Um, but no, she was she was consistently late during that that period of time. Did, did she hold that against you personally? I mean, did, did she accept uh, her obligation at that point to pay pay support as part of the system, or did she blame you personally for that? Um, she was very angry about that. There was actually um, a record that we had where she thought that the family court and the child support system wasn't fair to um, mothers. And it's like, okay, I feel the polar opposite here, but you know, everybody's entitled to their opinion, but I mean, there there were notes in there where you know you could see where she was very disgruntled, and even to the um, investigator in this in in the case here that that started the termination, um, she even admitted to the investigator, you know, that the child support was a good portion of her income, and that it wasn't fair that she had to pay such a high portion when she's you know only working a seasonal job. And really, all at the time she was paying was was two ten a month. Um, that's all she was obligated for for four kids. Um, 
you know, I'm not going to regret somebody for, for, you know, trying she had a seasonal job, you know. But what don't, don't come after me say? at the same time. <laughs> I had to right. say, I mean, did um, yeah, mine was mine was around almost nine hundred a month when I had to pay. So it's it's based on sliding scale based on your income, is that correct? Yes. Okay. Carrie, did did there come a point when uh, now obviously this going through with all this stuff we've been talking about and all these different incidences and uh, appearances and interviews and all that had to be certainly frustrating, especially when uh, when you know in your own mind you didn't do anything wrong and you got to go through all this and the expenses and then the whole thing. Um, but a lot of us, I think, tend, we want to trust the system. We, we'd like to trust the government and and figure that uh, we're going to get a fair shake. Did there come a point when you started maybe losing confidence in the system or the process? I I had faith up until my um, jurisdiction trial. Um, so they have a jurisdiction or a jury trial to see if the state gains um, jurisdiction over you. The threshold for evidence is very low. Um, it's not like clear and convincing beyond a reasonable doubt. It's just 50%. 51% that, eh, something may have happened. And they tell the jurors this, and the jurors can give the state jurisdiction, which basically means the state tells you and you're ordered to, and that's the process they get you to until termination. Um, in my jurisdiction trial, I lost I lost faith right away. Um, when we were going through some of the pre-stuff to set up the trial, um, we were told that we couldn't bring up any incidences that happened at mom's house with any other children that had acted on my children sexually, which it was notated and described in detail in CPS reports, um, we weren't allowed to bring that up to the jury. Um, and it's like, how can you not? This explains so many things. And you're still, I want to bring up the fact that CPS still allowed my children to be around these other children while this investigation is going on. Um, I was barred from talking about that. So, I mean, there was a lot of restrictions. And at that point I, I looked at it and I'm like, well, this is just meant to railroad me right into the, right into this meat grinder. Um, and then, the, you know, my attorney, we had the CPS worker who's getting up to testify the investigator She's the one that did the forensic interview. She starts testifying to the forensic interview, and in the process, the prosecutor lets it known that they had recorded this entire thing. And my attorney was like, this has never been discussed with us. And he's like, well, I, I forgot about it until now. I was like, how can you forget about something that big until now? So my attorney asked for them to pause things, you know, ask for a recess, ask for special time and consideration so that she could hear it and review it. The judge denied that and said, well, what good attorneys do is they write down their questions and then they'll listen to it and follow up with that. So the worker was allowed to testify to whatever she wanted and we couldn't challenge her on it. That night they allowed attorney to stay after. She had about an hour, hour and a half to listen to this forensic interview 
and she didn't get a copy to take home or anything like that, and then the next day she had to be prepared. I wanted it to be played for the jury because I had heard that there were different things from my attorney was telling me there's just there's so much on there. I'm like, why can't we play this as evidence for the for the jury? We weren't we weren't given the time. Um, it wasn't until I went and, and um, my my family helped out, they, they mortgaged and stuff, and we got a private attorney. Um, then we got a copy of the forensic interview, and the forensic interview is in very much stark contrast to what the reporter or what the CPS investigator reports. Um, the drawing that I was talking about. She actually tells my child to draw a line on daddy and calls it the private and suggests things. The, the child never said anything. I, I think I sent you guys a full transcript of that, and it's just its amazing. She even goes into suggesting where the child gets hurt and in whose room the child got hurt in. Um, I mean, just so many things, forensic protocols that are broken. I would have liked to have had that for the jury. I don't think they would have given jurisdiction to have known how tainted that was. So, so I mean, I I lost faith. Well, on the appeal process, all this the stuff. I'm assuming that the you know, the things that were not allowed for you to introduce during the, the hearing, um, you know, can be raised during appeal. Can uh, Maybe you don't know this. If you do, would the, uh, the appeals uh, court actually get to listen to the stuff? In other words, or is it just something you mentioned that you weren't allowed to introduce such and such? I wonder if the appeals people would actually get a chance to listen and and then figure out the relevancy of what was excluded. Right. Um, so we did actually, uh, we included that in the um, appeals um, process and, and, the, and a copy of the um, recording, which they have, because we, we were actually allowed in the termination hearing at that time to play the recording. Um, and that's why the court distanced themselves because even they could hear what was going on, but they weren't going to change their minds. I mean, I feel that their minds were already made up, but you listen to that and we played it right there. And, you know, she, she asked um, my child 13 different times about daddy and only twice about mom. And then when the, you can hear at the end um, with my youngest one, you know, she admits right there three different times to seeing her mother during the interview. And it's like, how is that? What is going on there? You know, my youngest one is saying, Oh, I see mommy outside and this and that. And it's like, okay, I thought these things were supposed to be private closed off from the parents. So there's no influence three to three different times. You know, my youngest one says, I see mommy. That's never explained. And, and I, I honestly, I don't believe that the prosecutor forgot for nine months to hand over that recording. Um, I mean, he can say what he wants to, but you don't forget that for nine months. Now, is, where is, is this... Case, 
I'm sorry, where does your case sit now? Okay, are you still in appeals? Um, where are you taking it now? Uh, yes, ma'am. My case is still in with the appeals. Um, so we sent in our brief, and then the prosecutor has a right to rebuttal, which they did. And then we sent in, um, which we're not required to, we could have left alone, but we sent in another rebuttal to theirs. We're actually waiting for a date to have oral arguments now. Um, the prosecutor doesn't want oral arguments. Um, we've asked for it, so we're hoping it's granted. But we don't have a date yet. Um, everything was turned in in January, and I'm told it can be six months to a year. Um, but my attorney even thought, you know, by now that we would have had a date in the future at least, but we haven't had anything yet. Now, if the appeal fails, is there a second thing or is that it? Is, there, is, is the appeal the, the final decision here or is there? do you have other avenues open or does the state have other avenues open if, it, if the ruling goes against them? Um, yes to all of those. Um, so if, if the appeals um, is granted, two things can happen um, very rarely, but the appeals court can overturn everything. Um, that's almost unheard of. Or they kick it back to the same court for a retrial with certain stipulations. Um, that is a nightmare um, in a lot of cases because you'll get assigned the same judge. Huh. Okay. Um, <laughs> the other thing is, is if it is denied, um, depending on the parent's ability, um, and in most cases it doesn't happen, but the parent does have the right to appeal to the state Supreme Court. Um, most cases those fail, even if the parent has the funds to take it that far. Um, the Michigan State Supreme Court usually doesn't hear custody cases in regards, especially if the appeals court's already turned you down. So it's almost a dead end at that point. Well, uh, what's what's your kind of a gut feeling going into this? Are you you know you you confident, not confident? Uh, based on what you've been through so far, I could understand if, if you were you know, had some concerns, but uh, what's your feeling? Um, I've, I've tried to stay positive, but I know, um, unfortunately, I read too much now um, on this stuff. Um, most parents don't win in the appeals court, even if they have a very, um, they, they, don't, they don't win. Uh, the appeals court does not like to overturn the lower courts. Um, you know, I mean, if I look at all the evidence and stuff in my case and, and, and just wipe out the statistics, I would be confident because I I can stand on the truth, the experts, you know, my own polygraph test that was done where I passed everything, um, the psychologicals, the whole nine yards and, look at it and then I, I look at some of the text messages that we were able to get between the social worker and my ex where they're you know laughing about things and saying this is all paying off for them. Can't see this. And then I go through in my mind, this was all presented to the lower court. <clears throat> and it's either they didn't want to see it, care to see it. So what makes me so confident that the, the appeals court will be different? 
Um, unfortunately, to answer your question, I'm sorry it took longer, but I mean, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not confident in the, in the appeals court. I, I wish I could, but I, I don't have the faith in, in that system. Now, it, at some point as you were going through the process, uh, obviously you became frustrated and uh, and, and questioned the, uh, the the system and the process. Um, did you then uh, start contacting other parents, or I, I believe you opened a, a social media page uh, regarding your situation? Um, yes, I, I have. Um, it's it's. It's still a private page, but I'm going to build upon that. But, yes, I I have been in contact with um, other parents, and we've shared uh, information, and, and I've, I've read some of the cases, their cases. Um, and I'm just, I'm I'm literally, I'm, I'm shocked. I mean, you know, I, I, I look at it, and it's like I don't know what, maybe I'm confused. I, said, I don't know what country... Um, would do this. You know, I mean, I, I served proudly. My father and my uncles have served proudly. And I look at this and I'm like, we're selling our, our next generation. I mean, kids need their parents. And yes, I do believe that there are CPS workers out there. I do believe that this exists, that they, they are good in intention, and that there are those ones that do appropriate things and act accordingly. Unfortunately, you get a few out there that get into the system, get promoted or move around, and they don't care who they wreck. But, I mean, the ideal, the basic ideal that CPS was founded on in protecting children, I agree with that. But I think it's, I think it's, after reading all these cases, I think the parents and I think our legislators need to sit down and have a true heart-to-heart and look at the proof and the evidence and fix this immediately. Uh, if, if someone wants to get a hold of you, Carrie, to, with questions for you or perhaps uh, to share some an experience similar to yours, how would they reach you? Should they go to the, uh, the a website or an email, or how would you like them to contact you? Um, I'll do my I'll do my email um, until I get the second page. I've got to get the second page started on the uh, on the Facebook. Um, but my email is just uh, my first initial C and then my name F L A G G, and then M as in Mary, S as in Sam, A as in Apple at gmail dot com. Um, and then you know I'll I'll read, I'll converse, and then add to the to the private page. Okay, I, you know it's uh, this conversation has been very enlightening and to, to some degree a little unnerving, at least for me. I don't know, Delilah. What 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 do you think? Uh, what do you come away with after talking to Carrie? Well, I think you know we can just be hopeful that the children are going to come through this in in a positive way. That perhaps. Somewhere along the way, they will get counseling or, or some sort of support system behind them that um, you know that they can grow up and become successful adults, which is you know right. all a parent really wishes for their kids. Right. Yeah. My uh, my oldest one wanted to be a teacher. That was her 
her want. So I think that's admirable for her. So hopefully, hopefully whatever happens, they'll they'll be able to pursue you know their heart in this. Well, Carrie, we've we've run out of time. I want to thank you again for for being our guest today, and. Uh, Please, I'd, I'd like to update uh, your story. So, when when something happens, or you get a decision from the appeal, would you let us know? Oh yes, sir. I will. I will definitely send you copies. Yes. Okay, Carrie. Thank you very, very much. We really appreciate it. Thank you both. And that's the conclusion of today's show. Join us again on the next edition of CrimeWire. Thanks and stay safe.